Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Mosaic Community Church. Um, we are a wonderful congregation filled with everyone you could think of from every walk of life. And we are a group of people who love Jesus, are enjoying learning about God and growing up together. We, we are a community. We want a fellowship. We want to get to know each other. We want to be involved in each other's lives. And so we invite you just to be with us today as we um, come together in worship to worship this wonderful God we serve. And we invite you um, to listen as we share in uh, scriptures and share in prayer. We invite you to ask for prayer if you need it and come along with us on this journey. You are welcome here. We will make room for you. So good morning, Mosaic and friends. Let's enjoy service. Good morning, Mosaic. As an opening prayer this morning, I'd like to read a poem uh, by Jan Richardson called Return. Remember, you were built for this. The ancient path inscribed upon your bones, the persistent pattern echoing in your heartbeat. Let this be the season you turn your face toward the one who calls you. Return, return. Let this be the day you open wide your arms to the wind that knows how to bear you home. The rise of violence against the Asian communities in America has to stop. Since the pandemic, it's been escalating. And our siblings have suffered violence inflicted from varied races and cultures. The latest shooting in the Atlanta spas once again highlights a sickness inflicting the souls of far too many evangelical men in this country. That people can inflict such violence and hate in the name of God is nothing new to these shores. We know that our country was founded upon that hate. But let us be clear, this is not right. This is not acceptable. For those of us who've yielded our hearts to Jesus and follow him in loving our neighbors as ourselves, we know that God calls us to something better, something more. But we continue to experience these shootings by individuals, by supremacy groups, by the police. We continue to hear white lawmakers and white law enforcement officers make excuses or rationalizations for these murders, and it is beyond reason. When will this violence, this hate end? We, Mosaic Community Church, stand with our siblings of Asian heritage. We join you in anger, in the shedding of tears, in the struggle for equality against the efforts to divide people of color across this country and our white allies against one another. We stand with you, recognizing that in this instance, the pain we feel cannot be compared to your own what we feel deeply. We'd like to pray 
for our Asian siblings. And I would like to pray, share a prayer that was written by Arena Kim Eubanks. She called it a prayer against anti-Asian violence for the protection of the elders. I made some changes to it so it, it would be appropriate for my reading. But I think um, Arena said this well. God of our elders, creator of sacred bodies, we are outraged and many of our siblings are scared. We pray for the streets they inhabit to be exercised of white supremacy and violence, for your shalom and togetherness to dwell, filling the Chinatowns across the country, the driveways with safety, with the safety of home and the spirit of family. We pray for your protection upon the elders that they would all encounter space to live, move, and have being, knowing that they are not forgotten, their bodies are not expendable. We pray for protection upon them, for the hands that have worked so hard to nourish and care for their families, for feet that have walked many different shores, eyes that have witnessed both atrocity and new birth, ears that have heard slurs in foreign tongues, backs that have carried the generations, and hearts that are both resilient and fragile. In a moment, when their existence has become a target. And as we pray for their protection, guard us too from division and othering that places blame on those people, driving wedges between communities, mistaking criminalization for accountability, multiplying harm instead of healing it. Give us a vision of the world in which all our elders are honored because we see each other's families as our own. Summer and winter 
Today I want to talk a little bit about the church. Um, our sermon is entitled, Making the Church Safe. And I, um, I want it to be a conversation. Um, so I hope it comes across that way. It might come across as preaching. But anyway, today we, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the church. Now in the past uh, few weeks we've spoken of the notorious JC. And um, I said he was notorious because he didn't do religion, the religion of his time. He did good. And there's a difference between, a clear distinction between the ways the religious people follow God and the ways Jesus followed God and was telling uh, the everyday folks to follow God. 
he was notorious because of this. He made a name and a reputation for himself that wasn't a good reputation amongst the religious leaders. He was notorious. Um, and people had that sense about him, but he still drew the people in. Um, this man, the man Jesus, was caught up being and doing good amongst the people. Also during the season, we've talked about Jesus' invitation to us to join him in vulnerability. And uh, we've talked about how vulnerability was Jesus' kind of super strength or superpower, and now it's ours. We shared about the choices made uh, in the story of the two siblings that Jesus uh, told. Um, whether they would honor what their parent had asked of them or whether they would not. And we talked about how we are presented with a similar choice by our heavenly parent. Um, and we make decisions whether to follow God's request of us or not. And we spoke last week of deconstructing what we have been taught or thought we knew about God so we could make room for God, God's self. Um, it feels like, or it seems like to me, that God has been speaking to us through uh, these sermons. They've resonated in my heart. I, I can ask if they've resonated through yours. And um, I, believe, I, I believe they have, just from your comments and things. So it feels good. It feels like we are being seen by God. And um, I'm grateful for this. And I thank the Lord for it. Um, the God who sees. Now, this term, this use of this language isn't new. Hagar in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, was the first person in Scripture to give God a name. This woman who was a slave... She was a woman and she was a slave, and yet she is recorded as the first person who gave God a name in Genesis 16. Um, her story has always resonated with me. It's always been important to me through the years. Um, here is a woman caught between a rock and a hard place. She's caught between slavery and a forced pregnancy, and she was so angry. She was with this family of promise. God, God promised that he would, or that God would bless the entire world. All of creation would be blessed through um, Abram and, Sar and Sarai. Um, but, uh, and God would bless them by giving them a, a child. Sarah didn't conceive as fast as she thought she should. And Sarai, uh, who would become Sarah, um, she was frustrated with not being able to conceive, so she gave her slave Hagar to Abram so she, Sarai, could have a baby through Hagar. After Hagar became pregnant, she despised Sarai. I, I don't see, we don't see Hagar in the scriptures until Sarah decides to make use of her body in this intimate way. Uh, and it is a use and an abuse. One would think a woman would be safe from certain kinds of harm when another woman is there or that other woman has power. But it wasn't the case for Hagar in her relationship with Sarai. 
Hagar was forced to get pregnant and she could not hide that contempt for Sarai. And Sarai couldn't handle what she saw in Hagar's eyes. She blamed, she, Sarai, blamed Abram for her decision to use Hagar's body. And Abram didn't take any responsibility for the mother of his child. You know, the, she's the mother of the child of his child she's carrying. And uh, Abraham told Hagar, I mean, told Sarah that she could do whatever she wanted to with Hagar. Um, and Sarai chose to beat her to the point where Hagar left. She ran away from uh, Abram and Sarah. Sarai. And it had to be hard. She's pregnant. She's getting beaten. She wants to save her child. And she runs off in the middle. There are nomadic people, so she's running off to who knows where, just trying to, to survive. But God, through an angel, sent Hagar back to Abram and Sarai. And he, God sent her back with a name for her child and with a promise that this child she was to call Ishmael would be the first of a multitude of his own. Now after that encounter, Hagar gave God a name. Uh, and she called God the God who sees me. El Roy, El Roy or El Roy. Um, the God who sees me. I, I, I love that name. It, it, it's wonderful. It, it's meaningful to me to know that God sees me, that God sees us. To know that God sees our circumstance and wants better for us. That even while humanity has the freedom of choice and can choose to do harm, that God wants good for us, that God finds a way to provide for us, just like God found a way to provide for Hagar. And, and God shows God's goodness in the midst of struggle and pain and strife. The God who sees me, and, and it's also implied that the God who sees me is also the God who responds to my need. That has been a comfort again to me throughout the years of my life, and maybe you found it a comfort as well. But there's something about it that I didn't get originally. And um, I was so concerned. Honestly, I just wanted God to see me. I literally remember praying prayers like, God, don't you see me? Don't you see what's happening to me? Um, that I didn't think about the fact that the God who sees me and responds didn't want a one-sided relationship. The God who sees me didn't only want to be the God who sees me. That it's actually a real and true relationship that I have with God. And so the God who sees me wants me to be the God who sees God and responds to God as well. Now I've heard <clears throat> over the years, you know, in Christian churches that God doesn't need doesn't need me or God doesn't need us. 
that God, uh, um, you know, it, it feels like God tolerates us. And that's not really true. God has chosen to need us. God has chosen um, that a relationship with humanity is important. God has determined that the relationship with humanity is so important that God became human, God's self, in Jesus. And Jesus is and will forever be the man, the human being, Christ. And God said, it's not good for human beings to be alone. And so the man Christ, it was not good for the man Christ to be alone. And God need, God's need of relationship, it's expressed in Jesus, in Jesus' need for relationship with us. The God who sees me needs me. The God who sees you needs you. The God who sees us as a collective community needs us. To see them through Jesus. Needs us to see him and needs us to respond to his need for communion, for fellowship, for unity. Now in Matthew 16:1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus uh, saying they wanted to see a sign, you know, prove you're this man of God. And Jesus uh, said to them, the only sign that I'm going to give you is the one that is the sign of Jonah. Um, and he called them twisted or wicked, which means twisted, and an unfaithful generation that they were always seeking after a sign. And he said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, which was that Jonah was at three days in the belly of the well, not seen. And then Jonah became seen again after the, the well uh, excreted him from his body. I don't even know if that's a better word, but that's my word. I'm giving you a sign because I'm not giving you a sign. It, Jesus was saying, because your sign is already here. If you see me, you see your sign. Jesus got frustrated with the disciples because they didn't understand his comments to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They thought Jesus was, was mad at them. He said this because they hadn't brought any bread. They were taking things so literally. And Jesus was like, I'm not talking about bread. And he's like, how don't you, you don't, how is it that you don't understand that when I say be, beware of the leaven, I'm saying beware of the teachings of these religious people. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> they didn't get it. So we have this in this chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, um, where Jesus is frustrated because these people keep looking for a sign. And he's right in front of them. And he asked the disciples, after all this engagement with the Sadducees, after his disciples didn't get what he was saying, he wanted an answer to a question. And so he asked them, who do you say, who do people say that I am? And uh, they gave him many answers. They said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, but they, they think you're one of the prophets. And Jesus was like, okay. Now... Who do you say that I am? And 
Who do you say I am? Since you all have seen me, spent time with me, have been taught by me, tell me what you see. And then we have Peter's confession. Thou art the Christ. Now it always sounds better like in the King James English, Thou art the Christ. But it's just, he's just answering simply, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one who was to come. And Jesus was like, Bless you. It's like, Thank you, son of Jonah. Thank you for seeing me. Let's just pause right there for a moment. Think of how it must have felt for Jesus to be seen. I actually teared up when I was writing this, you know, because to come into the world, to come into his own, the scripture says, and they not know him. I, I, some, I get upset when people, when I get accused of doing things that are so outside my character. I'm like, that's not who I am. Haven't you spent time with me? Don't you know me? Um, when something good happens and they don't think first that, you know, it could have been me that did it. And and I get thrilled when I talk about talk to people and they share the ways that they know me or they we're talking about something and say, oh, no, you would do such and such and such and such. And you're like, yeah, you're right, because they know me. They see me. When I think about how much I want to be seen, to be known, to be named just as Hagar named God. It's important to me and, and, and even in some African cultures it's like to name someone to say someone's name is to make them real I want to be seen I want folks to recognize my essence to recognize the characteristics what makes me me and if that's so important to me imagine just how good and sweet that is to God that was to Jesus to be recognized in that moment when people are thinking you're, you know, some, some uh, uh, version of one of the prophets, and one of these people that you've poured yourself into can recognize you, it, it must have given him such joy. And the first words that came out of his mouth were, Bless you! Bless you, Simon ben Jonah. It's like, man, thank you so much. And you blessed me today. They recognized or he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as a big brother, as the high priest, as a friend. Can you imagine what it's like for Jesus when we recognize him as all of those things and as we're going through life? I think sometimes when we respond to Jesus, it's our making Jesus real. It's our making or allowing Jesus to be a real part of our lives. It's us, God in seeing us and our seeing God through Jesus. Making a real, full relationship. So, I wanted to get through that. We got Hagar who sees God. Who, who says, God sees me, and thanks God Elroy, or Elroy. And then we have the question from Jesus of, who do you say that I am? And finding both of these questions, both of these issues about being seen. But again, it's not enough for God to see us. 
we need to see God also. Now, how does this, how does all of that relate to making the church safe? I got you. I got you. The God who sees me and the God I see are at the core of making church a safe place. It's right at the core. When Peter announced to Jesus, thou art the Christ, I see you, you are the Christ, Jesus' response again was, bless you, or thank you, Simon ben Jonah. And he said this, flesh and blood, or another person, didn't make this known to you. But the parent who lives in heaven revealed this to you. And Jesus went on to say, to, to name Peter, he called his name Peter, and he said, On this rock, on this solid foundation, I build my church. Now, what is the solid foundation? The flesh and blood is that flesh and blood can't reveal God. God has to reveal. And from that revelation comes the confession from us that thou art the Christ. That you are the Savior. God revealed God's self to Hagar so she could see them. God sent an angel and that's how she knew God had seen her. God revealed God's self to Peter. And Peter acknowledged who he was. So th this rock of revelation, this, this I see you and now you see me, is the foundation of the church. The God who, reve who reveals themselves and the people who receive the revelation of God. This is the church. And I know that sounds simple. But the church has become many things to so many people. For some, the church is a social club. To others, it's just a classroom where facts and figures are tossed out and people memorize them along with scriptures and it becomes this competition of who knows more words and more theories. Or it's become a place where people can come and get food, food to gather in the moment to eat or food that they can take home or clothing that they can take home. For some, it's just the place of preaching and they love good preaching and they love to hoop and holler and get excited with the preaching or with the wonderful music. They love the worship bands and it becomes about the bands and the music and, and being able to, to stand with friends in celebration. And still for others, it's a place where they can have power, where they get a title, deacon, elder, uh, a teacher, a uh, council member. They get a title and they have a sense of power because in many places they feel powerless. It's a place where people can have friends, make friends, visit with their friends. And these are good things. I'm not saying they're not. But the foundation, the bedrock of the church is this revelatory relationship with God. Where God, where God who sees us responds and where the people who see God respond to God as well. This is the church. This is the big C church. It is without building. It is a based on relationship. That God tabernacled within us and we became one in communion with God. 
It's based on a living relationship with the living God and humanity. And the local church, or that space where people come together to meet, is where the relationship is deepened and nourished and cared for. But it has to take place. The core is that it has to take place in a living vibrant relationship, a two-sided relationship. It's not necessarily uh, a relationship about how the world or other Christians view my relationship with God. Am I acting like a Christian? Do I live in a way that's acceptable by other Christians? It's not about how many sermons are preached or how well organized our small group ministry is or how wonderful our worship is. Because those things can become, they become objects and things. They become things we attach ourselves to and we start losing sight of. They have a form of godliness, but the power somehow starts to be emptied out from them. Why? because we don't recognize or we stop recognizing them as tools that help facilitate, encourage, and support our relationship, our living relationship with the living God. When we think, you know, there's a time that we start thinking we have the answers, you know, that God is always like this, doing this, moves that way, taps three times, turn around, God. And uh, we find out when we, when we keep hold so tightly to those perceptions, those early understandings from our personal walk or early understandings from the early Christians, that that was the revelation and that's it. When we think we know who God is and we, are, we, we get stilted and stalled in keeping up or maintaining a living growing, vibrant relationship individually and collectively with God. Peter made that confession. Thou art the Christ. He was right. Jesus was the one who was to come. He was and is the Savior. But Peter didn't have a complete or full revelation. Peter still thought that the Messiah that he was Messiah. Yeah, he did. But he also thought Jesus was coming to set up his kingdom then and now, right? That he would lead a revolt against Rome and overturn the system and reestablish the sovereignty of Israel. But that wasn't the case. The foundation of the Christ is the recognition, or the foundation of the church is the recognition that we have to keep working to see God and what God is doing. We keep working to see and receive God's continual, continual revelation of God's self. I want to give you an analogy. Forgive me for this if, 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 it, if, if it offends you or you don't get it. But sometimes I think the church is like an old married couple. Well, we feel like we, we caught the guy or the girl or our, our, our person. And you think you know them and you react to them based on the original revelation of that person you had when you first met them and early in marriage. And the truth is they've been changing and growing all along. 
but you keep trying to hold them where they were. So your conversations are based on the someone they used to be that's that no longer exists. The plans you're making, you make with them are based on the person they were and doesn't meet the needs of the person they are today. Um, you form organizations based on that old revelation of who they were. Businesses based on who they were and not who they are and are becoming. And then one day you wake up and realize you no longer know your husband, your wife, your spouse. Because they've changed. And sometimes people even get mad and upset because they've changed and didn't stay where they were way back then. One of the reasons the church may not be a safe place is that we're trying to hold on to a relationship with God that's old, that is stagnant, that binds God to dimmer images of God's self, images based on 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago, and so on. And we build structures and doctrines and spiritual prisons without windows for ourselves and our God. And the fresh wind of revelation can't get in. And that, that place ceases to be a living, life-giving space. A place of God-revealing self. It becomes a mausoleum. Scripture says in Matthew 16, verse 18, after the revelation, Jesus goes on to say, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Dr. Craig Keener, who wrote the IV New Testament commentary, he speaks uh, of the gates of hell as the realm and power of death, of, as the realm of death and the power of death. The place where we do things that separate us from God and each other, the place where relationships go to die. He says the realm and power when we put it together, it's that realm and power of what separates and causes death. He says that the foundation of the church, Peter, you are a rock. And my church will be built on this. On this, the God who's continually revealing God's self the gates of hell and revealing God's self and people are receiving the revelation. He says the gates of hell can't prevail. Death can't hold it. Death can't enter in. Because the, the relationship is vibrant. The relationship, you need it. You want it. You strive for it. You're encouraged by it. You talk to God because God is your big brother, your best friend. You, you strive for this relationship and you want to be like your big brother Jesus. There's life there. There's vibrancy. You want it. It's not a dead building with dead songs and people who barely want to know each other. It becomes this thing that says there is life and it opens up curiosity and wonder to us. Sometimes we think the unknown is the scary thing, the thing, that uncertainty. You, we don't want that feeling, you know, and, and some, we've, we've, we've brainwashed ourselves away from curiosity and wonder. So we cling to what we know and we try to codify it and make it some kind of law. But scripture tells us we see through a glass dimly, yet face to face, and we praise God for the face to face, but we want to see more and more. We want to grow in depth. I was told as a young follower that there are deeper depths 
and higher heights to what you will think you know about God. God's always deeper. God's always higher. There's more. You read one, the one scripture and you'll read it for 50 years and you will get something new out of it over that time because God will reveal more of God's self to you. And their warning was don't get stuck. You'll start separating from God. Don't get stuck. It'll start decaying and feel yucky. You don't want to be a part of this anymore. Don't get stuck. And so here's the question. How many of you gotten stuck? And how many churches have gotten stuck? Here's another analogy. Sometimes the church is like stagnant water. And stagnant water becomes a, a breeding place for disease and for decay. We need fresh water. Fresh water provides what our body needs to sustain itself, to continue to grow. So our living relationship with God is that fresh water where God is actively revealing God's self to us. Like I said before, you can read the same scripture over 50 years and periodically throughout that 50 years you get a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper revelation of what God is saying through that scripture. And it's amazing because I've said it. I've read this scripture I don't know how many times and I never saw that. Wow. You know? And it, it I think it's cool. But please hear me. I'm not talking about chasing signs. Like Jesus said to those folks, you know, in uh, Matthew 16 at the beginning of the chapter. I'm not talking about chasing signs, chasing spiritual gifts, chasing all this flash and bang stuff. What I'm talking about is pursuing a relationship with God, almost like courting. Just keeping things fresh and alive. Staying in this position where you can make new discoveries about your spouse. There's still wonder and curiosity about why um, he or she or they think the way they think, act the way they do. What things have remained consistent over time? How has it changed just a little bit? What's more deep about them, you know? And, 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 and just these wonders. And it's the same way in this two-way relationship that we have with God. The church becomes a safe space when we recognize our need to honor and listen to each other about the revelation of God. I hold a role in the church. It's the role of pastor. And I am a guardian, maybe, and a keeper. But God is talking to each of us. God is talking to all of us. And there are things that we each have and need to contribute to our fellowship so we can grow together. We can grow collectively and individually. I don't sit back like I know everything. Yes, I went to school, and so there are some grounding things I know, but this I know too. The living God reveals God's self to people who want a relationship. And the thing that was so funny to me when I went to seminary, and the reason that they asked me to teach is that God taught me so much of this sitting in my house talking to the Spirit before I even got there. And they recognized that. I always wondered, am I on the right track? And it turns out, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. So I'm not at church to hold you back from your place. 
I, I'm here to facilitate that. So you take up your role and you make your comments and you challenge people, even me. Church is not safe because everybody can get away with stuff. No, church becomes a safe place because we're growing and that we know that we our deepest desire is to be seen by God and to see God and that God walks us into that so that we can have relationship and not be alone and see each other. This is the thing that God wants of us. And this is the church. And the local church becomes a smaller component of that. And we can't place our activity above the knowledge of God, but continue to use it as tools. And when we have that right, that core foundational understanding, and we are people seeking, then we don't have to strive for power or position because we know we're all empowered and we want people to feel and know their power. We honor that in one another. And then we don't play, become the place for gossip and, and bad words and harm because we value this relationship that we have with God and with one another so much that we take care of it. Not in harm, not in policing like our police do today, but in holding each other to a standard and encouraging one another. I don't need to say that I'm the authority and you must listen to me and what I say and thus, 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 and thus. We do it together. And in truth, we don't have a whole lot of experience with that because we've had hierarchies and things. And so we're going to learn something new about what it means to walk it out. Walk out our faith together in new ways. I sense that call to walk it out together. I'm supposed to help you mature, but what do you do with the mature people except let them lead and do things that they have grown in the ability to do? Many of you were there before I even got there, so your maturity is present. We need you. There's a place and room, and you will help keep us safe. When we're all involved, the church can become a safe place. And we don't have to be stagnant and I know more than you know. I went to school and you didn't. And all that garbage. Because the scripture says it is the spirit who will lead and guide us into all truth. And I can tell you from my personal experience, I am a witness. I am a witness. So, we won't be stuck. Refuse that. And we'll honor the core and use everything else as a tool to help us maintain the vibrancy, the joy, and the wonder of knowing Jesus. May God bless you. Amen. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how are for me yeah he loves us oh how he loves
jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his wind and mercy When all love is sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me How he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves, oh, how he loves. Yeah, he loves And he is upright Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes If his grace is an ocean We are all sinking And heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss And my heart turns violently inside of my chest I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Yeah, he loves Thou hast been now forever
Um, she came over to my house and sat on the porch and we had tea and just a lovely conversation. And she shared with me about a book she's been going through during Lent called A Rhythm of Prayer. And since I knew I would uh, be facilitating prayer spaces this Sunday, um, I asked her if she had any um, prayers from that book that she especially liked or thought would be good for today. And she shared one with me that I thought was really um, powerful and moving and relevant. Um, so I'm going to read that um, now for us to um, use as our prayer time together. And it's called um, A Prayer for the Tired Angry Ones by Laura Jean Truman. God, we're so tired. We want to do justice, but the work feels endless, and the results look so small in our exhausted hands. We want to love mercy, but our enemies are relentless, and it feels like foolishness to prioritize gentleness in this unbelievably cruel world. We want to walk humbly, but self-promotion is seductive, and we are afraid that if we don't look after ourselves, no one else will. We want to be kind, but our anger feels insatiable. Jesus, in this never-ending wilderness, come to us and grant us grace. Grant us the courage to keep showing up to impossible battles, trusting that in our commitment to faithfulness and not our obsession with results, that you will bring in your shalom. Grant us the vulnerability to risk loving our difficult and complicated neighbor, rejecting the lie that some people are made more in the image of God than others. Grant us the humility of a decentered but beloved self. As we continue to take the single step that is in front of us, Jesus, keep us from becoming what we are called to transform. Protect us from the empire's violence in our words, in our theology, in our activism, and in our politics, for your kingdom of peace. Keep our anger from becoming meanness. Keep our sorrow from collapsing into self-pity. Keep our hearts soft enough to keep breaking. Keep our outrage turned up towards justice, not cruelty. Remind us that all of this, every bit of it, is for love. Keep us fiercely kind. Amen. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break. As broken hearts declare his praise For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah He's roaring with power and fighting our battles Every knee will bow before him Our God is the Lamb the Lamb that was slain For the sins of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Oh, every knee will bow before
open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power, fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop the Lord? Can stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Stop the love. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb. For the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Hi everybody, it's Justin. I miss seeing everyone face to face. And while I do love those random encounters that do happen in the neighborhood from time to time, I will be the first to admit that with the masks on, uh, more than once I've uh, called out someone at Aldi's that turned out to be a total stranger and not the church member that I thought it was. Um, so anyways, I have the pleasure of introducing the financial committee. Uh, so Pastor Angel has talked briefly about the financial committee a few times since its creation back in November. Shirley, Maggie, Jim, and myself meet once a month over Zoom, and we review the financial situation of the church so we can help advise the council and ensure things are as they should be. So today is the first of what should become a regularly quarter, quarterly occurrence, a brief update on where we stand. So I know many of you might be wondering, how have we been weathering through the first half of our fiscal year? For those who don't know, our fiscal year starts September 1, so we just wrapped up the midpoint of our fiscal year at the end of February, and we're presently a few weeks into quarter three. 
Now, don't worry, this entire update is just four slides long, and only two of those have any numbers on them. So here is the first of those. I wanna talk about our expenses versus our budget. So our first column is showing what we budgeted for the first six months of the fiscal year in some of our broad categories. Next to it are the actual expenses that the church incurred during that same time period. The key takeaway is that our spending has been within budget, almost 20,000 below, in fact. That isn't all stemming from penny pinching as the majority of those savings have come from personnel vacancies. The second thing I wanna point out is that if you notice some categories, such as children's ministry, the budget for the first six months is less than half of the total budget for the year. This is because we hope to have more programming and thus more expenses in the coming months and over the summer. Two final things worth calling attention to in this slide. The first is the Justice and Compassion programming. Similar to how each of you can make contributions to the Justice and Compassion Fund when making a donation online or through the mail, the church itself has chosen to fund $3,000 this year into the programming budget of the Restricted Justice and Compassion Fund. So just like how some of you give directly to the fund, so does the church. Lastly, down at the bottom in the final bullet point is a key metric that every small nonprofit uses to measure their sustainability. And that is the months of cash on hand. The goal for organizations of our size is to have three months of cash reserves. We are happy to report that as of the end of quarter two, we have slightly more than four. So we are in a healthy place with regard to cash reserves, thanks entirely to the generosity of yourselves. And now I'll turn it over to Jim to discuss the revenue. Hey, good morning. My name is Jim. I'm a member, actually I'm the treasurer for church council here at Mosaic. Um, great to connect, see you all in whatever way this works this morning. Thanks, Justin, for kicking us off on expenses. I'll be taking us over now to giving. When the slide comes up, you will be able to see uh, the challenges that the pandemic has brought to our monthly giving in the chart on the left, as well as the challenges and the impact on the number of monthly givers. All of that notwithstanding, things have actually been remarkably strong given the circumstances, and we've been able to make some great investments this year, some of which I have listed on the slide. Uh, for instance, we are really excited to have uh, hired our first ever staff member, particularly focused on worship, and we've been able to invest significantly through the Justice and Compassion Fund. We've spent about $4,000 this year taking care of folks in the community, providing rent assistance, groceries, winter clothing, utilities, etc. We all know it's a hard time. And so it's a really great time to be a part of a community that has resources at hand for folks who need them um, when they need them. So um, good things, good investments there. At the same time, I don't want to take away from all of the normal things that we take for granted, um, you know, week in, week out. It can be easy as a giver to get excited about the next great new thing. Um, but there are also some really wonderful ongoing things, such as paying our staff fairly, um, having insurance, which we have to have, having all the tech platforms that allow these services to happen. So I um, want to recognize how significant all of our giving is in providing those and remind us to be grateful for all the wonderful things that we do have as a community and that since we have those things, we have to pay for those things as well. Um, last, I'll just close by saying again, uh, thanks so much to our consistent, steady givers. Um, we, uh, we're really grateful for you. Um, and in fact, those of you listening to this, it is literally you listening to this and the other people who are listening to this who make all of this happen. So thanks so much. And now I'll turn it over to Maggie for a couple of quick words about the future. 
What's coming next? Let's take a moment to think about what it would look like to come out of the pandemic with momentum. Now that you have that picture in your head, to come out a stronger community, to have the resources in our church to create programs that meet people where they are struggling and provide even more. We wanna kick off September in a position to have a second full-time staff member and hit the summer with resources to reconnect people and better take care of them. It's about a lot more than money. It's about what God is doing, how God is empowering us. So when you think about giving to Mosaic, ask God, what do you want to be able to do through us this summer and next fall? With that, I want to say thanks for tuning in to our first Finance Committee quarterly update, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Bye. For closing prayer today, I thought maybe we could try something that I do with my spiritual director at the end of all of our meetings. So once a month, I meet with um, a spiritual director and... For those who aren't familiar with spiritual direction, it's actually something I recently learned about myself. Um, it's kind of like therapy, I guess, but it's more um, focused on, you know, processing um, the things going on in your life with the focus of, you know, identifying how God is moving and working in those areas. Um, and uh, at the end of all of our meetings, um, she always invites us um, to pause together to take a moment of stillness. And she asks me to kind of just take a moment with me and God and look over our meeting, the time we had together, everything we discussed, um, everything that was brought up, and to um, ask God to highlight, you know, something very specific that I'm invited to really process or take with me um, from the meeting. So why don't we all together um, take a moment of stillness and um, you know, look back over the sermon, the time that we've had together, including the worship and the prayers and um, what Pastor Angel shared, the scripture, um, whatever it may be, just take a moment to be still and ask God, um, what are you highlighting for me? What are you inviting me to take away from today? Um, maybe that will come to you in the form of an image or a line from one of the worship songs or something Pastor Angel said, or a verse. Um, however that comes, just thank God for it and take that with you um, into the week. So let's take a moment together to close our eyes, to be still, take a few deep breaths. Holy Spirit, thank you for today. Would you highlight something for us that you are inviting us to take with us into the week? Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak to us individually and together as a community. And 
Uh, would you help us to hear your invitations to us this week? And would you give us um, all that we need to respond to that invitation? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>